In a world where James Franco is still considered a credible actor and Mike Busey can open a place called the Sausage Castle, one podcast will rise. One podcast will take a stand. Its hosts steadfast and strengthened by snark and snobbery. This podcast is Cinema Geekly. Cinema Geekly Podcast, episode 172, brought to you by Adam Tickets. Head on over to cinemageekly.com slash Tickets or go to the Adam Tickets link at the top of the page and uh, purchase yourself some movie tickets or gift card for the movie fan in your life. Tons of movies in the theaters right now. I am joined by Glenn Bovey to talk about actually three, all three of the big ones that are currently in uh, in the theaters right now. You've got your choice if you want to go see big blockbustery movies. Uh, between Avengers and Deadpool and Solo, and then there's going to be more on the way, of course, because the summer movie season is just kicking into gear, because Jurassic World is on its way, and there's Incredibles. Uh, There's a a bunch of stuff uh, that's all all coming soon. I think Ant-Man and the Wasp is just around the bend. There's a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, Before we talk about the movie news, Glenn, though, you weren't here to kind of give your thoughts on uh, Infinity War. I know you told me what you'd score it. I think when we were talking in the in the chat, but I didn't get to hear uh, you know like a full opinion. So what did you what did you think of it? I thought it was really good. Um, I would even dare to say it's definitely in the top echelon mm-hmm. of my favorites. Uh, I thought. The way they handled everything, like it could have been a big, big old mess, and it wasn't. Uh, yeah, and I thought Josh Brolin as Thanos was uh, awesome. Yeah, I think I mean, they definitely gave him things to do, and I thought he delivered on all of those things. Mm-hmm. They, uh, I, I, I'm not even sure they're getting quite, and, and I've seen them get a lot of credit, but I'm not sure they've received quite enough credit as. To like how they managed to manage this thing. It's so crazy that they were able to put an ensemble together of this size and do a story as large as they did. I because th- I believe it was concerning like three different groups at once. Yeah, I mean that's really the only way you could have done it was break yeah. them down into smaller groups. Yeah, and then thread between them. But the way they did it and then brought it all together. It worked so well. Uh, to me, I mean, it's clear that they were going for an Empire Strikes Back ending here, or an, an installment, but I think they out-empired Empire. Like, Empire ended on a on a down note, but not quite nearly as down. Well, I thought this, this they gave ended. you false hope, because the whole thing... I mean, I don't know about your theater, but mm. whenever Thor first showed up with the hammer in Wakanda, like, 
everybody in the theater clapped. Stormbreaker, yeah. It was Everybody clapped then, everyone clapped when Captain America showed up. That was like yep. the two biggest things. Yeah. Well they gave you like the music cue to know that you should clap. They play like the Avengers yeah. theme when they showed up. Yeah. And then whenever he went and hit him with the hammer, like everybody was like, Yay And then it's yes. just should have they gave the they head. gave me false hope a couple of times in this movie, which is weird. Uh, I was telling Aurora this when we were reviewing the movie that they did a great job of making me think they were actually going to stop Thanos and completely forgetting that he had the fucking Infinity Gauntlet, which basically made him all powerful. Like when she when Scarlet Witch breaks the the Mind Stone. Yeah. I'm like, oh shit, they stopped him, kind of. I mean, like, he's still there and he's still super powerful, but, you know, he can't... I, I wasn't thinking for a second that he had the goddamn time stone and it would just reverse time. Uh, like, they sunk me into all of those moments. They did a very good job uh, of of doing that. And, yeah, they... I mean, to me personally, like, we discussed, when Aurora and I were talking about it, we discussed that, for me, he, they went too far with killing characters that I knew aren't going to wind up dead because you know they're coming back because they all have, you know, movie sequels and, and yeah. whatnot. Black Panther and Spider-Man aren't dead. They have movies that haven't been made yet. Yeah, my only problem is I didn't like the fact that the ones who, for the most part, end up living were from the original group. Like, no one More in the original less, yes. group died. Yeah. And I was kind of like, well, that's, that's a bit on the nose, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the audience for whom's the audience for whom it worked really worked. Like my seven-year-old daughter was traumatized by the end of this movie. She didn't believe me that they were making another Avengers movie. She's like, they can't make another one because all these characters are dead, and Spider-Man is gone, and they killed Groot, who is her favorite. Yeah. Uh, which, by the way, dick move, Marvel, killing Groot in two out of the three movies in which Groot is in. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I don't remember what you graded. Do you remember what you graded? I I went on. I think the I said high. like four and a half. Did you? Yeah, I went on the high end and gave it a five. I this is like my one A and one B favorite Marvel movie, along with uh, like uh, Guardians with uh, Winter Soldier, like right behind those as a uh, as my all time favorite Marvel movies. But yeah, that I just thought it was spectacular. I think a lot of it really played in to the fact that it was like we watched some of it some of it was like obviously the you know this is the payoff for watching all of these movies as many times as I've watched them uh and this was the payoff but a lot of it was also we watched Justice League and Justice League didn't approach this movie in terms of like this felt like if you were going to do a movie about the Avengers and the Infinity Gauntlet and stuff this felt like it lived up to those, uh, what you would what you would think it might be like, which Justice League kind of failed to do in a lot of ways. Uh, I think a lot of that stuff all helped, uh, including my uh, admiration for the filmmakers and how they managed to put this together. Uh, I mean, I know that uh, Joss Whedon had his cult for a while because he did Firefly and then he did like the first Avengers and. I think the Russos, does, they they need to be getting all of the credit now. They did Winter Soldier. I know people are a little more mixed about Civil War, but I would say their three Marvel movies that they've done have all been 
pretty big successes. Uh, I was very happy uh, with how this worked out. And just when I was starting to feel like a skosh of uh, superhero movie fatigue, they kind of erased it with this movie. So I'm, I'm Yeah, I, mean, I will say this is one of the first times within the movies where I've cared more about the story than the characters. Yes. Like, I, I, agree. I want to see the next one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They did an excellent job of, of... And I was really surprised on, like, who they had as the leads, in a way. Mm-hmm. Like, in this movie, I was really surprised that... Oh, who got the most? Yeah, like, I feel like Chris Hemsworth was, like, essentially... Him and, I would even say, Josh Mullen were, like, the two leads. Mm-hmm. The movie started and ended with them, essentially. Yeah. Well, I mean, they also gave a lot... They also gave... I mean, they you know, they gave a lot to Robert Downey Jr., which is not surprising. Uh, but Doctor Strange also got a lot more in this movie than I was expecting. Uh, and people can hear more about that if you want to go back to the previous episode. Aurora and I discuss our joined uh, theory about Doctor Strange's involvement in all of this. And I... Oh, yeah, that he saw... I mean, he would have seen so many outcomes that, yeah, that uh, he what, had to know that Stark had to be alive for it. Yeah, whatever whatever they're doing right now is the plan, even though Doctor Strange might have been the only one who understood or knew what that plan was. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, all right, well, that's awesome. We've got a couple more movies to talk about, but we'll do that in a little bit. Uh, first, a few trailers to talk about, and then a couple pieces of movie news, and then a couple of movie reviews. Uh, so, actually, two of these uh, two of these trailers are, are sort of at your uh, behest, Glenn. Although one of them is not Black Klansman. I actually saw Black Klansman before it was noted because I just saw this pop up on the trailer YouTube channel that I follow. Yeah, and I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and uh, clicked on it, and I saw it was a Spike Lee movie uh, that is it stars Adam Driver, and this is a based on a real story, which is awesomely mind-boggling to me. Uh, the movie is about Ron Stallworth, an African American police officer in Colorado, who successfully manages to infiltrate his local Ku Klux Klan. Uh, not just infiltrate his local chapter. But apparently he becomes head of the local chapter. Uh, and uh, the Ron Stallworth character... So he's only the Klansman when it comes to speaking with other people on the phone. Because he's black, he couldn't quite get away with going to meetings. And therefore, another officer who works with him, played by oh, Adam Driver... Oh, he did the Clayton Bigsby thing? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Adam Driver has to go to uh, to all of the meetings... Uh, as well. The, what did you think of this? This looks awesome. Oh, I thought it looked incredible. That and that movie, Sorry to Bother You. Like, those are the two things that I just I really want to see. Yeah. Uh, who is it that's playing David Duke? It's Topher Grace, right? Yeah. <laughs> Topher Grace is playing David Duke. Yeah, you had to keep it quiet that he was playing David Duke in the when he got the role. They can't tell anybody who his character was because they were afraid of getting sued during production. Yes. That's amazing. The, people need to watch the trailer for this immediately 
It's called Black Klansman. Uh, you'll be able to find it relatively easy on YouTube. It looks really funny. Surprisingly. But also, like, it looks like they're going to try to balance it. doesn't look like it. I don't know if it's going to be a straight-up comedy. I don't think it is. But the concept itself is pretty hilarious. And that it worked to any degree, I think, is really the comedy. Uh, well, it won the uh, won something or another at the Cannes Film Festival. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it won the Poem d'Or, but it won. I know, like the like audience favorite. Lots of great, lots of great YouTube comments under this video as well, like Clano Ren and Kylo Ren is expanding the dark side. I see. Uh, yeah, this is a uh, tremendous, a lot of people though, in the comment section upset that they did not make, uh, the Dave Chappelle movie about the blind black guy who was in the clan. Yeah. Who was racist. Uh, uh, yeah, this looks awesome. Uh, this is getting released in August. This is one of those movies that might fly under people's radar. So I'm glad we're talking about it here. Um, cause it might fly under. Oh, somewhere. I didn't realize it was Denzel Washington's son. That's the main guy. Oh, is that who it is? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, it looks, it looks good. Uh, you didn't mention this one to me, but you popped it in our chat a couple days ago and that's what got me to watch it. The happy time murders. What the fuck is this Glenn? What is the happy time murders? Uh, it's Muppets on crack. This is like, it's, so it's Melissa McCarthy. It's, it's, so it's one of those worlds. It's one of these movies where, um, humans exist along with Muppets, right? A la the Sesame Street movies or the Muppet movies, any, anything along those lines where rabbit. Yeah. Where humans exist along with Muppets, except this is like a stone cold, like grounded crime drama just Muppets happen to be in it and there's like Muppet murders and they're solving crimes apparently they're in trouble right now I guess uh, PBS or Sesame Street is trying to sue them because one of their taglines which I thought was a genius tagline that got me laughing harder than almost anything in the trailer which was no Sesame all street which I laughed so fucking hard at that tagline. I don't really know if they can sue them over it because I think it's a clear parody. So I don't really know if they can sue them, but yeah, uh, or at least if it'll go anywhere. But I thought this looked like a ton of silly fun. <coughs> Is this uh, something you're looking forward to? I'm more curious about it. <coughs> uh, one of my friends had said that. She hates that there's no subtlety in comedy now. Mm-hmm. I was kind of like, yeah, you're right. But, like, because she was just like, it's like someone watched Roger Rabbit and forgot the subtlety that's in Roger Rabbit. And I was like, yeah, yeah I, I mean, I, I get what you mean. But, like, also, it's trying to be a film noir. It's not trying to be, like, a hard-nosed, like, modern crime drama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, you, the stakes are going to be up just in that alone. So I'm morbidly curious. Yeah, same uh, here. I'm coming around the corner on Melissa McCarthy. Uh, yeah, I will her Sean, her Sean Spice stuff. Just maybe appreciate her. <laughs> yeah, so. put her in the right position, and she's very good. 
She just wasn't great as a Ghostbuster, for example. No, no, I just, I think, you know, she's kind of like a a Robin Williams type. If you can kind of rein him in a little bit, make him a little bit more focused, like his performance is Like, she's really great in St. Vincent, but... yes. Um, yeah, uh, and she's had like she had uh, she had a string of some of like her solo movies where she sort of blow where she blew up, uh, and it it really just depends. Like I'm not saying she wasn't fit to be a Ghostbuster. I'm saying she did not fit in that movie that they were making. Uh, that movie didn't fit into what they were making. No, no, it didn't. Uh, in fact, it, I, I didn't think it was just a disservice to her, but it was a disservice to a lot of the other women. Oh, yeah, like Kristen movies. Wiig. I love Kristen Wiig. Mm-hmm. Kate McKinnon as well. She's, I think she's good. But, yeah, they're, it's it's all about, because uh, I think we were talking about this with, uh, before we were recording with Robert Pattinson, who is in a West, I think it's a Western that you're looking forward to, right? He's the <laughs> yes, one in Damsel. Yes. And yeah. I keep forgetting that, Robert Pattinson is more than just Twilight. And you take him out of that context and you put him into a different context, he's very talented. It's sometimes it's the projects that you're doing sometimes do not emphasize all of your strengths and sometimes they instead shine lights on weaknesses instead of your strengths. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, this is like an opposite. I mean, I guess it's it's less of a hard... It's, it's a hard-nosed crime drama compared to something else you might see like this. Uh, like the Christopher Robin movie is very much a kids movie for children. Um, it's they they go with a real a little more realistic depiction of like the Pooh characters and stuff like that, more or less using the more or less using the models of the original toys as opposed to the animated versions of them. But you know, if you watch that trailer, it's very much like a kids movie. Uh, for for kids, so uh, reading like the first ideas about what that movie was supposed to be, it actually sounded like much more of an adult, uh, not you know not adult in like a dark or serious way, but uh, handling themes that adults would understand more than kids would, uh, like uh, rediscovering uh, shreds of uh, innocence or imagination or something as an adult, where kids those things are things that not kids don't think about but uh yeah i don't know i'm kind of interested i like a lot of the cast for happy time murders and i'm i always like it when they do weird shit like this uh like when uh somebody here the first comment is like i'm surprised seth rogan isn't in it because yeah that's the one of the first things i thought of uh was like um what the sausage fest uh where you think of you know they it's like, oh, they're doing like a Pixar type of animated movie, but no, it's all fucked up and horrific, uh, essentially. Uh, maybe this is like the uh, the Muppet version of Sausage Fest, Glenn. Maybe maybe think about it in that way. Yeah, maybe. Uh, and that'll help. Uh, the other one, uh, per your recommendation that I checked out, was the Sisters Brothers, and I'm so happy you got me to watch this before we recorded, because now I'm on board for this, and I want to see it. <laughs> Uh, and it's also based on a book, a Patrick DeWitt book, uh, called The Sisters Brothers, and it's a western that takes place in the uh, the mid-1800s, 1851, in Oregon, and it's about two brothers whose last name are, in fact, sisters, thus the name The Sisters Brothers, but they are, 
I guess the idea is that they are hired to kill a prospector who has stolen from their boss. The prospector is played by Jake Gyllenhaal. And uh, this looks like a ton of fun. It's uh, Joaquin Phoenix and John C. Riley. What are your thoughts? Uh, you know, this, I will say this year, like last year was like a lot of like, not necessarily like heavy dramas, but uh, things, you know, like something like The Post that was just so ham-fisted. I mean, there's another one called like Shock and Awe that's coming out that pretty much is a Rob Reiner jerk-off fest about newspapers. Um, even if they're going to have like a political twinge to it, you know, something like Black Klansman, but they're going to, they're going to have more fun with it. And that yeah. this, this year just seems like the award season might be more fun and might be more loose. Be. So, so, yeah, um, like you won't just have the one movie like get out. That's a little bit different or I guess to some extent, something like shape of water. Yeah. It feels like there's going to be a lot of variety. Yeah. I think, anyway. Um, so. All right, let's uh, talk about a couple pieces of movie news before we... Uh, did you? So did you read this Damon Lindelof thing about his plans for the Watchmen TV show that is still going forward? Yeah, didn't he say it's going to be, like, original stuff? And it's like, what, what the... <laughs> what? Yeah, I, I don't know if you read the whole thing, but he, he basically wrote, like, six pages... And you can tell oh, he's a big fan. David Lindelof rambled. Yeah, you can tell he's a big fan of the comics because he very cringily like wrote the beginning of the letter, like he's Doctor Manhattan, where he's oh. like, "Present day, I'm going into a meeting with Showtime to talk about the Watchmen movie. Flashback to 1962, and I'm with my dad. You know, he's very much like." You know, wrote it like Doctor Manhattan. Uh, so, like it's it's cringy, but you can tell he really likes the source material a lot. But when he talked, what about if he Ma- likes it as much as Alan Moore? Probably not. Like he knew Alan Moore wasn't going to give his blessing, although he asked for it anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, he got the blessing to do this. Like how everybody gets the blessing to do it. They asked the other guy who was an Alan Moore. Yeah, and he's like, "Yeah, you can do it," because he doesn't give nearly as many shits about it as Alan Moore does. Well, if I wanted it to be in a different medium, I would have wrote it as a different medium. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, and I shouldn't have said Showtime. It's for HBO, but um, so they're not making the Watchmen comics into a miniseries on television. They're not going to do a prequel to the Watchmen. They aren't even going to do a sequel, at least not with the characters. Basically, the show is going to be called Watchmen something or other, and that is your gateway, if you like the Watchmen, to get into watching the show. But otherwise, I, I sort of uh, I sort of paraphrased as what he was saying. The show is going to be a remix sequel that isn't a sequel, that is seemingly just using the name of Watchmen to get you through the front door. Like, he noted that it's, uh, he basically tried to use this weird analogy where he's like, you know, the notes of the Watchmen are so good that, you know, we can't do a cover, but, you know, we'll do like a, a remix or something because those notes are too good to not. But basically, he's like, they're not, it's going to take place after the events of the comics, and it won't feature any of the characters from the comics as far as I know. Although I don't, I honestly don't know how long you can go without doing that. 
but that's what it sounds like. I don't know. Damon Lindelof alone is not a good selling point for me on a show no. or a movie. Like, he can be working on a show or a movie with other people, and I can look past it. But him on his own, I don't know if it really sells me. Uh, but it's HBO. They have a tendency to make really good quality programming. Yeah, I don't know. Is this something... I, I think we'll probably check it out, maybe, right? But I don't know if this will become a regular watch. My curiosity will be enough that I'll want to at least... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see a trailer for it. You know, yeah. maybe it'll pique my interest. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, uh, HBO is not infallible. I've sort of fallen off the Westworld wagon a little bit. <gasps> right? I've uh, never watched it, so... Oh. Well, I watched and loved the first season. I watched a couple of episodes of season two, and uh, I haven't been able to pick it back up. I was just not that enthralled with how the direction they've gone for the second season. I wasn't that interested. So, yeah, I just kind of... Maybe I'll go back and watch it when the season's over. Um, but I've been watching so many other things that it just didn't... Uh, like, I started watching Legion, because I heard a lot of people say that was a great show. Uh, so I've, I'm working on giving that a working on giving that a shot uh, as well. So there's okay. So Glenn, there's some Star Wars stuff to talk about, but I think I'm going to link that in to when I talk about Solo, even though I know you haven't. Uh, That's even fine. I, you haven't seen it yet. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's any. I guess else. Han Solo, Lando, they don't die. Um, well, that's a good guess. Even though they have a love interest. Obviously, they're not going to end up together because, you know, we know the future. Um, Let's see. I mean, these are just guesses you could have without even seeing the movie, which is... Uh, Those are all very true and good guesses. Uh, Okay, let's talk about this real quick before we talk about the movies. Uh, Jamie Foxx was cast to play Spawn in, uh, I believe we talked about... uh, Todd McFarlane, at least uh, at least at one point in on one of the past podcasts, we mentioned. I think this came out at Comic Con, maybe uh, that Todd McFarlane is writing and directing through, I believe, uh, Blumhouse, uh, a low budget horror related Spawn movie, and uh, Jamie Foxx is cast to play Spawn. Does this uh, does this set off any positive or negative alarms with you, Glenn? Yeah, it sounds cool. I mean, it doesn't sound very low budget to me if Jamie Foxx Jamie is, Fox in is in it, right? Yeah. But it is so. Blumhouse, so... Yeah, they're... I know. They make things for less than $10 million bucks, so I don't know how they're going to... Yeah, you may break the mold and up that to 20 Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, maybe they've got... Maybe they convinced Jamie Foxx to come in and do the movie for scale. I don't know. Probably not. Uh, or, but... or, like, back-end stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we'll see. Uh, you know, maybe uh, maybe he just coming. Maybe you never see Spawn outside of the suit, and Jamie Foxx just does voiceovers for the whole thing. Yeah, maybe. they get him cheaper that way. I, I don't think so, but uh, I figured doing the suit would probably cost them some money. I'm sure there'll be some CGI on the suit. So, uh, yeah, I I don't know. I like this too. I keep thinking of that time he was that horrible villain in uh, the Spider-Man movie, but. You know, I really think that was less Jamie Foxx and more the movie. I mean, he'll pretty much just be Django. Yeah, kind of right, more or less. 
Yeah. I think it's a good move. Uh, I'm excited to see it, too. I only vaguely remember the original Spawn movie. Uh, I remember there was Spawn, and I remember there was a fat clown guy. And yeah, I remember John Leguizamo. John Leguizamo. Correct. Uh, and I remember it was kind of dark. The movie was uh, dark and gritty. But yeah. I don't remember. I don't remember much else about the movie, other than that. I don't. I don't know if it was ever a big hit with uh, with Spawn fans or anything like that. So I have no other real memories of it. But I am excited to see this because Blumhouse makes uh, they do good work. Sometimes, and, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Okay, so they're hit or miss. They're not perfect, but I mean, I thought Truth or Dare looked pretty stupid. Mm, that's true. <laughs> well, not everything is a winner, but they they do have a history of churning out low-budget movies that are pretty good. Yeah, they, they, they know how to make their effective, you know, small-budget movies, yes. Yeah, uh, and it's always interesting when a creator of a property is the one who is in charge of its adaptation to another uh, medium. So I think that's going to be really interesting. Uh, I mean, there might be nobody better suited to write for the character than the guy who created the character. So we'll see whether or not he'll be any good at directing a film will be another thing. Um, but he's got a really talented actor as his lead. So uh, although well, they'll just have like Steven Steven Soderbergh will be like his second unit director or something. <laughs> you know he well, was a second unit director on those Hunger Game movies. Yeah, yeah. If you know who Steven Soderbergh is. Well, yeah, yeah, I know who Steven Soderbergh is, but I didn't know he was a second unit director on The Hunger Games. Yeah, well, he always says, like, I'm not directing anything, and it's like... Second unit director on a bunch of projects. Yeah, or he, like, you know, because he does, like, everything. Like, he'll be... He's like Paul Thomas Anderson. Like, he'll uh, be the camera operator. He'll be the editor for it, you know, so... It's like, yeah, you're right. You didn't... You're not just the director. (laughs) Right. Uh, all right, let's talk about Deadpool 2. We've both seen this, correct? Yep. Uh, Follow-up to the wildly successful Deadpool movie that did way better than I think anybody thought it was going to do. Uh, I think it came in second place for the highest grossing opening weekend R-rated movie or whatever. Or was that all-time highest R-rated movie? I don't remember. Well, no, Passion of Christ was the highest of all time. Well, no, but was that highest opening or highest of all time? Or was it both? I don't remember. It was the highest opening R-rated movie. Was Deadpool, but yeah. not all time. But it wasn't the all-time highest grossing, right? For an R-rated movie, no, it is not. Right, that's still Passion. Which yeah. they noted in this movie. <laughs> they went out of their way to make that reference. Um... This one opened to 125 million, I think, um, was its opening. Which I don't remember what the original one opened. Uh, it was like the original was like 132 or something. Okay, so it didn't quite reach that. Yeah, because this was the before the weekend started. It was tracking to do like 134. Right. Um. So, uh, what did you think of uh, the sequel? Then did it? live up to or underneath or just barely meet the original? Where did it, where did it sit for you? I liked it more than the first one, personally. 
what uh, what did it for you this time? Uh, Do you think was it a better story or? Yeah, I thought it was more zany. So this like, was way more zany than the first. And like, the first was I, fucking zany. Yeah, I, I like the first one. My, my problem with the first one was that. Like, they were riffing on things that they just did. Like, it was a simple love story. The mm-hmm. plot was pretty, you know, paint-by-numbers, which yeah. is fine. Um, but, like, I I didn't like that they were kind of toting themselves as being revolutionary, where they, like, story-wise and stuff like that, like, they didn't really do anything crazy, you know? Not really. Um, and so, like, with this one, I thought they upped the ante, not just in budget and whatnot, but just, like, risk they were willing to take. Like, the whole Peter thing was phenomenal to me. Yeah. Um, and just little things like that. Like, I just thought they, they took better risks. Um, and were willing to push the envelope a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So, for me, like, overall, I'll give them more credit for something like that. Whereas yes. the first one's definitely a, a better, like, tight-knit story, but I also felt like they, they played it really safe. So. Yeah. Um, for me, this fell, like, right in line with how I felt about the first movie. Uh, which was that I liked it a lot. I liked it, uh, I mean, right about as much as I liked the first one. I'm not in love with either of them. Yeah. But I like them. <laughs> you know, I like them quite a bit. Uh for me, this was like hit or miss at points. Like there were, uh, there were some follow-up jokes from the first movie. Uh, some that I thought landed pretty well. Like, uh, in the first movie, they joked about how, since because this movie is so low budget, they can only get two X-Men. Like where the fuck yeah. is everybody else? And they tried to do the same joke again. And, like, everybody from, like, that new X-Men Dark Phoenix movie are, like, in a room. They're just hiding from him, apparently. Or I guess that's the joke. Yeah, they whatever. shut the door. They shut the door so he couldn't see them. But, like, everybody's, uh, everybody from that cast is, is in that room or whatever. Uh, yeah, I, uh, you know, they, they did stuff like that. Uh, but then they did some, like, you know, follow-up jokes that just didn't really work for me at all. Like when they did, uh, they did like a return to like the superhero landing thing. Maybe they felt like they had to do that because it turned into like such a meme on the internet afterwards. I mean, I've lost track of how many times where I've seen that fucking Deadpool clapping animated gif thing. Yeah. Uh, and maybe they felt like they just had to return to it, but they did like another superhero landing joke. And, you know, he does, he almost does like the Peter Griffin thing where he's grabbing his knee or whatever. And I just didn't laugh at it at all. Yeah. Uh, like I felt like the movie was kind of rife with that throughout. Like there was some stuff that I thought was really clever and funny and some stuff where it's like, Oh, that's a joke. But I didn't laugh at it. Like I recognized that it was a joke, but I did not find it amusing enough to chuckle or also I thought anything juggernaut looked kind of terrible. (sighs) Yeah. So juggernaut is in this movie. What, what, when he looked worse, the moments that it looked really bad were any up close moments on the head and you could see him talking and it yeah. just looked like a rubber face under a, you know, a CGI rubber face under a CGI helmet. I mean, I will give them credit for doing juggernaut right in terms of 
they basically just put the comic book slash cartoon costume on him and made him fucking huge. Yeah. Uh, I wish they would have got Vinnie Jones to do the voice. That was my only thing. Was like, <laughs> why can't Vinnie Jones do this again? You know, the funny thing is when he said, I'm the juggernaut bitch in that really bad X-Men movie, I didn't realize that that was based on a meme as well. Oh, that, uh, that, <laughs> the, uh, as somebody that, dubbed the, the first cartoon... YouTube videos. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody dubbed like the cartoon over yeah. with that or whatever. I didn't realize that came from a meme. I just thought it was a horrible line. Now it's even worse that I know that it was a meme and they're like, oh, we got to put that in our movie because everyone knows it. That was even worse. But yeah. I would have actually laughed really hard if it was Vinnie Jones voicing it. Juggernaut get, or Vinnie Jones getting a second chance just like Ryan Reynolds. Ah, yes. I think that would have been awesome had they done yeah. that. Yeah, I thought that would, like, uh, I don't think he would have been super expensive to get to do it. No, he's not doing anything. Yeah, so I, I just thought that would have been... A good a good use of you know a joke that fits the story. I mean, I'm a I'm a fan of that cartoon, so I was happy to see Juggernaut portrayed like that. But uh, yeah, at times it did not look it did not look very good. I like the uh, the kid. What's his name? Like Firefist or something like that. Yeah, yeah, he was good. I thought he was really excellent. Uh, you know, and I I feel like they I, I like the gag with the uh, the X Force. Uh, you know, I thought that was fun. Domino was a good character. Yeah. Although Domino feels like one of those characters, like, I mean, I think she can work in a movie like this, but she would be like, uh, Quicksilver is in like those X-Men movies where he's like so super powered. The only way yeah. to like have him in a movie is for him to like go away or to be stopped almost immediately, you like disabled in some way. Like, Domino's power is just that she's lucky. So she can do anything, and his luck is always going to go her way. She can run through, you know, a land, uh, you know, like a field of landmines, and she won't step on any of them. Uh, you know, people will try to shoot her right in the head, but their gun will backfire or lock up or something. And, you know, with a power like that, you're basically invincible and immune to, to everything. Uh, or at least everything that, that could be, I, I suppose, luck-related. Or anything in which case something could result in a lucky outcome. Uh, but I think she could work in this I mean, that's why she survived. She's like the only member of X-Force to live, right? Everybody else died Well, early. you know, Peter gets to live. Does he live? I thought he got killed by the acid-spitting guy. No, the post credit scene when he goes back in time and saves Peter. Oh, shit, that's right. He doesn't save anybody else, but he saves him. Peter, yes. I, I forgot about the... How can I forget about the post credit scene? Because he also uh, goes back in time and kills, like, the other Deadpool from mm -hmm. the X-Men Origins Wolverine movie. Uh, that was excellent. I, and I, you know what? That's another thing that they did that I thought was a, a funny callback. Like, he did the shredding the bullets with his sword and cutting a bullet in, his, in half. But then when he was Your done, he was... really fast. Yeah, but when he was done, he was still full of holes. When, when he say like... Like, shoot as fast as you can, one-eyed Willie, or something like that? Yes. Uh, what did you think of Josh Brolin in this? Because it's weird that he played... Uh, he was two different Marvel characters in two different Marvel properties. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I thought some of his, like... I know he just played it completely straight. So some of the times, like, 
the anti jokes didn't land, but there mm-hmm. were other ones that were just like so brutal and insulting that I just couldn't help but laugh. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I thought he was really good, but I don't know. All I could see, like, whenever I looked at him, all I could, when they showed his face, all I could see is how well they captured his face when he was Thanos. Yeah. Like, there was a lot more of Brolin's face in Thanos than I realized. Yeah. And that's all I could see when I was looking at him, and I'm like, man, he was so fucking good as Thanos. And he was good in this movie, too, but I think he was so good as Thanos that that's all I could think of whenever I would... Uh, whenever I was watching him, I need to give it a second go around because it was too soon after seeing Infinity War, and that's really kind of all I could think about when he was on screen. But uh, yeah, I liked um, I liked that they they uh, they killed Vanessa because I, I I really like that they did the whole um, they Deadpool's on his own and he had to basically find his own family. That sort of it was a yeah. family movie as he sort of kind of inaccurately portrayed it because he was like I you know why did I bring my kids to this well I'll tell you why it's a family movie and it's it is it is but still not one I would bring my children to uh I don't think but uh yeah I uh I I liked all that uh and it's uh weirdly enough some of my favorite stuff was when uh Wade Wilson was dropping the the pretenses of being the goofy character and like some of the more serious uh, moments and stuff. Usually when he was trying to reach Vanessa after she had died, like all of that stuff I thought was really good. Yeah. Uh, and I especially, the eighties music video nerd in me, especially loved that they used uh, aha's take on me only because he like walked through that film which is basically mm-hmm. what they do in the fucking music video when they come out of the paper and stop being drawings and become real life. Yeah. Uh, I thought all that stuff was great. Uh, ultimately, like the for me, like the inconsistencies and and sometimes it felt like it was for me it was inconsistencies and in, in jokes that made me laugh. But in other ways, this also struck me as a character that for me there can be too much of. Like, yes. there is a limit to how much of this I can enjoy. And I don't know if I could watch six movies of Deadpool breaking the fourth wall and making pop culture jokes. Because for me, there's like a wall I'll hit. Um, eventually. And I don't know... Uh, I'm sure they found ways to freshen them up in the comics over the years. Um, but I don't know to what degree, because I don't read them. Uh, but I'm curious to see if they'll try to to play with the character at all in any way that um, because I'm sure this will probably result in a sequel as well yeah I mean like I'm fine if they're going to do a trilogy but Mm. I I, I think I would enjoy it more after seeing two of them if they would use them in a quicksilver way I think Mm. a little bit of Deadpool goes a long way yeah so I agree uh, I would I would be okay if he kind of took a backseat, which I, maybe that's why they you know kind of I don't I don't know if they ever did it in the movie, but in the trailer you know talking about how they'll stop after the second one, yeah. Um, so I don't and they might be kind of aware about it as far as how this character is like it could just be 
painstaking after a while to mm-hmm. to keep watching the same shtick. Yeah. I will say the opening credit scene of seeing one of the guys who killed John Wick's dog was great, and the yes. fact that they made it like a James Bond opening was amazing. Also and, amazing, the Celine And Dion the best song. gag, the best gag with the Basic Instinct reference, I just wish they didn't spell it out for people who didn't get it because it yeah. was still it was still funny if you didn't know the context to it mm-hmm. but I just wish they wouldn't have spelled out because as soon as they had him sitting there and where that where the shadow was I was like oh my god they're going to do basic instinct and, you know, it eventually happens after a couple minutes I just wish they didn't spell it out for everybody yeah uh, I loved that opening credits scene the James Bond opening it was excellent, and they, f- and then it finally made sense why they had that Celine Dion song, because I was like, well, this is an amazing Celine Dion song, uh, but why why are they making it for Deadpool? Is it just like the joke that they're making a super serious Celine Dion song for the Deadpool movie, and that's the joke? But it's really better than that. It's you know they would do this all the time with the Bond movies. They'd have some big vocalist do the Bond theme song for that movie. And then they'd overlay it with the Bond credits, and that's what they did for this movie, and it was fucking awesome. Yeah. That actually may have been, this may be blasphemous to some people, but that might have been my favorite part of the movie, was the amazing opening credit sequence. I'm a sucker for a good opening title sequence, and that was tremendous. It's a good Celine Dion song, and yeah, I just, I love those Bond openings. Those design style things are... Uh, so much fun, and it was excellent. So, yeah, I uh, I approved wholeheartedly. What did you? Uh, what would you give Deadpool two? Like a four. That is exactly what I gave it as well. I I I think I'd characterize it as like a soft four. That's what I gave the first one. Yeah. Uh, as well. Uh, well, you don't have a lot to talk about next, Glenn, but I do. Solo, a Star Wars story. You haven't seen it yet, but you're hoping to go see it soon ish. Uh, if you do not like it when Star Wars plays it safe, if you thought they were playing it safe with Force Awakens, wait till you see Solo. They are really playing it safe, uh, with this movie. There is, I guess I should get out of the way that, uh, I liked this movie more than I thought I was going to. The trailers did nothing for me at all, but... It is a it is a relatively fun sci-fi movie set in the Star Wars universe. Uh, if you took this movie out of the if you took this, would you say it's a Ron Howard movie? Uh, yeah, kind of. In some ways, uh, I mean, in some ways it does. In a lot of ways, it feels like a Ron Howard movie that was made with people from Star Wars looking over his shoulder. To make sure it was Star Warsy enough, um, but yeah, there were there were some elements. I mean, look, uh, he put Clint Howard in it, so of course it's a Ron Howard movie. Uh, if you can spot Clint Howard, uh, you know that's one of the telltale signs that you're watching a Ron Howard movie. But um, yeah, I kind of uh, like if you stripped away all of the Star Wars branding from this movie. I don't think it would have gotten nearly as much like or love, but you know, you're putting in characters names, uh, and some of them who actually look like the characters you remember, like Chewbacca, because it's a suit. 
so that always helps. Uh, and Donald Glover has a resemblance to Lando, so that helps. So yeah, I don't want to jump, because I have a lot more criticisms of this movie, but it's really more bringing it down as to why I gave it the score I gave it. Uh, it's fun, and it's fine. But, that's kind of all there is to say about it. It, for everything people disliked, or can say they disliked about Rogue One, you could at least argue that it, the plot of Rogue One fixes at least a really big plot hole in one of the other Star Wars movies. This movie, on its own at least, doesn't seem to really do anything other than sort of tell you a story about Han Solo. Uh, There's a couple of things that really make you cringe, like how he gets his name, because apparently on Corellia, his name is... Everyone just has one name, and his name is Han. And... Uh, in escaping or trying to escape Corellia, he signs up for to the Empire. He wants to be a pilot. And they ask him his name, and he says, Han. And they're like, uh, Han what? Like, what house do you belong to? What family do you belong to? And he's like, uh, none. So the guy puts him down as Solo. Because, you know, he's by himself. So that's how his name becomes Han Solo. Uh, if you ever, which is so dumb. If you've ever been curious about how he ends up with the blaster he's got, you see it in this movie. Uh, you know stuff like that. I'm surprised they didn't go into the origin of his jacket or pants. They did not. Uh, there's a like, like so. Woody Harrelson is in this movie. He's actually great. Uh, if anybody reminds me of Han Solo it's kind of Woody Harrelson in this movie because in the original movies, Harrison Ford had the swagger about him where it almost broke the fourth wall where you could kind of tell he was not taking this movie seriously and was just having fun. And that was the total vibe you got from Woody Harrelson, uh, watching this. Like he knew exactly what movie he was in and he was not taking it overly seriously in his performance. And it showed and he stood out. I thought he was great. But there's a line near the end uh, where Han ends up shooting him. And they talked about this in the Screen Junkies review. And I'm like, oh my god, I'm so happy they didn't do this. But watching this movie, it felt like something they could have done. Because he's like, I got one... Woody Harrelson says, I've got one last piece of advice I want to impart on you. And then Han shoots him. And the Screen Junkies people were like, you know... They envisioned Woody Harrelson looking up and his dying breath saying, always shoot first, like right before he dies. Because, you know, Glenn, it's funny because he shot first, but then George Lucas changed it so he didn't shoot first. And did Han shoot first? Did he not? So happy they didn't do that. But I could have, in this movie, this particular movie, I could have seen them. J.J. Abrams probably would have put that in there. He would have, I think. Because they would have thought it was a great reference, but it's not. That would not have been a great reference to make. <clears throat> I'm glad they didn't. Um, Alden Ehrenreich as Han Solo, he spends the bulk of the movie not really being Han Solo to me. Like, I know he's trying. There are moments, he, he's got fleeting moments where you buy it for a second. But it's usually in, like, a glance or a word 
something where he nails it pitch perfect for a second. And then there are moments where he wobbles, but most of the time it's spent with you kind of forgetting that he's supposed to be Han Solo and he just feels like Chewbacca's friend that he meets. Uh, on the other hand, Amelia Clark, uh, who plays his kind of love interest ish person. She's really good in this. Uh, Donald Glover as Lando comes as close to anybody other than the guy who plays Chewie. Uh, cause he plays well, Chewie. I mean, like, I, I, like the, the thing, like, all Lando was was just cool black guy. So yeah, like that's a much easier shtick than. Well, he's hey, he, try and be Harrison Ford. Yeah, he's well. So because not even Harrison Ford can do Harrison Ford all the time. Donald Glover has pitch perfect moments where he is Lando from the movie, but by and large, I'd say he's less playing Lando and more playing Billy D. Williams from the nineteen seventies. Yeah, like okay. he's playing that, like the guy who did like the commercials and stuff. Uh, he's playing that character. He's good in the movie. I like him a lot. Um, there's a droid voiced by Phoebe Waller-Bridge who is... I'm I'm actually kind of done with this concept of the, um, you know, the smart droid who as witty... The witty, the witty intelligent droid. Because uh, I feel like if... It's like a staple. Like, oh, we're doing a Star Wars movie. You gotta have a droid, and that droid has to be quippy and smart and funny, uh, and that's what you need. In this case, uh, it was a variation on that. She was basically playing like a, a sassy woke droid, who's about like droid freedom and thinks droids are, uh, you know, enslaved and stuff. And it's not a bad character. I think it's really more of a case of. We've seen a lot of Star Wars movies recently, and all of the movies have a droid character like this. Do you feel like if Lord and Miller, we got their cut, mm -hmm. that maybe that droid was more of a a joke as far as the wokeness? Like the Possibly. way it would have been portrayed is more of like a tongue-in-cheek because if you were you watch like Lego Movie, I didn't really realize it, but man, they like they're pretty savage in it to mm -hmm. like not necessarily movements, but like things that would be viewed as virtues. You know, they they like to poke fun at earnestness, sure. I guess. Sure. I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, this whole movie would have been different, I think, in a lot of ways. Uh, obviously, because they reshot like seventy percent of the movie. I think. Yeah. Um, uh, and edited a completely new character played by Paul Bettany. He was the villain um, in the movie, and he was okay too. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, it's not even that I think the character was all that bad. Although her entire existence—this is one of the things that wasn't that great. Her entire existence in this movie was to tie into a throwaway line from one of the original movies. Uh, because her, she dies. And, uh, by the way, there's this, I guess this hint that Lando has romantic feelings for this robot or something, or that he's pansexual or something along those lines, which I guess some people got upset by, but I don't know. Like when I think of Lando Calrissian, somebody's like, Hey, do you think Lando Calrissian would fuck this thing or that thing? My answer would probably be yes to whatever you say. 
Because he just <laughs> seems like that guy. Like, yeah. Lando is a lover, not a fighter. Like, uh, and that's kind of how he's portrayed. So that he may have had, like, romantic feelings towards this droid does not surprise me. But anyway, they down... Because apparently she's got, you know, this amazing navigational computer as part of her mind or whatever. And they basically, like, put her mind into the Falcon. And it helps them navigate the Kessel Run. Uh, which they do in this movie as well. Which is actually a pretty fun scene, all, uh, all in all. Uh, and by the way, I should note, throughout the movie, all of the action scenes are actually really well done and pretty cool looking. Uh, but there's like a line in one of the movies where Han's like, you know, talk to the Falcon. He's talking to like C-3PO and he's like, C-3PO says something about, you know, how the Falcon's got a potty mouth or it's a, uh, you know, something, I don't know, something about it's rude or some shit like that. And it's basically like a throw, her whole existence was a throwaway line. So people who like remembered that one line from like, uh, a new hope or something could be like, oh, so that's where that came from, which yeah. was, you know, that's awful that you shouldn't create a character just for that. But they did in this movie, uh, you know, and it's, and it's whatever. It doesn't offend me that they did it. It just seems like a a waste. Like, you know, we have to have a robot in this movie. It has to act like this. What can we tie it to in previous Star Wars movies to justify its existence? Uh, and that's sort of like, you know. But, you know, to me, like, once you're at that point, you know, you're it's it's too much. It's a little too much for me. But, uh, yeah. So I, there's, I, I should probably note that we're going to talk about uh, spoiling a little bit here. There is only one real major spoiler if you don't know it yet or you haven't seen the movie yet. Uh, cease listening, but uh, the crime syndicate that uh, Amelia Clark's character works for, uh, she kills Paul Bettany, who is like the uh, her boss, but he is not the head of this crime syndicate. Uh, and the head of the crime syndicate is Darth Maul, which uh, this, I guess, is, has resulted in a lot of joy for some fans. And a lot of confusion for other fans. Uh, because there's a lot of people who have no idea that Darth Maul didn't die at the end of Phantom Menace. Because they didn't watch Clone Wars, and they didn't watch Rebels. Now, apparently this movie takes place before Rebels. Because apparently in Rebels, Obi-Wan Kenobi kills Darth Maul for good. Apparently, in that, in that show. But uh, if you watch the Clone Wars cartoon... Uh, Darth Maul survives his fall, uh, he's given robot legs, and there's a whole story with him and his brother, and he tries to get revenge on the Emperor, and all that stuff fails, and he starts a crime syndicate uh, type thing, which expands up until the point of this movie, uh, and he is still alive. I can understand people being upset by the fact, or being, because there's some people that are like, you know, how the fuck could you not know Darth Maul, you know, wasn't dead? Don't you watch the cartoons? And, you know, a lot of people went, <clears throat> no, we don't watch the cartoons. Yeah. Uh, you know, Star Wars is a movie thing, and we watch the movies. To me, this is like, you know, we want some answers to this thing that happened in the latest Star Trek movie. We'll just go read the prequel comics, you guys. It's all in there, and it's all canon. You know, uh, <laughs> stuff like that. 
you know, gets to be. Uh, it's like uh, Marvel doing in the their MCU being tied into their TV universe, although they're doing it in a much weirder way. I'm glad like, you brought that up. Yeah. Luke Cage, June 22nd, Season 2. That's right. Well, of course, and we'll be covering that on uh, Podcasters of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well. Um, but Marvel does it in a weird way. Like, in order to really include their shows into the MCU, all they have to really do is make less than vague um, references to it. Like, you don't... Nobody's really expecting to see Iron Man show up in Daredevil... Uh, or Hulk show up in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But it's so weird that... Uh, like, I watched uh, Runaways, the Hulu show. Um, that I don't even... By your silence, I'm not sure if you're even aware that it existed. No, I never watched I don't have Hulu. Uh, but they, they have this show called The Runaways, which is about a bunch of kids who find out that their parents are bad guys, and they run away. Uh, and they discover that a couple of them at least have powers... But weirdly enough, none of them seem all that surprised that any of them have powers. And even if they do, they don't make any reference to... Like, that show seems to exist in a vacuum, despite uh, all the things I could read about it. Everyone's like, well, yeah, this takes place in the same universe as the movies and all of the other TV shows. But nobody made any... Like, you don't think if you were a kid who lived in that universe, you wouldn't be talking about Spider-Man or the Hulk or Thor, like real people, like real aliens that come to your real Earth with their real magic and space weapons and shit. Like, kids would be talking about that all the time. Especially if one of your friends turned out to have superpowers or something. But they don't reference it or really react to it at all. It's very strange. In the Netflix shows, they kind of very vaguely reference events. Like, they just refer to the attack on New York from Loki and the Chitauri as... The event. But rarely ever do they even make reference to Captain America or anything like that. It's almost like they don't exist, which is weird. Like, I don't think you have to work that hard. You just have to make references. Uh, look, with that being said, uh, I understand why they don't take those characters from the TV shows and put them in the movies. Um, it makes sense. You don't want to overly confuse people who don't watch the shows. Uh, so yeah, I mean, this was an interesting choice. I knew that Darth Maul was still alive because I had watched the show and because I had heard, I'm nerdy enough to like read about stuff ahead of time anyway, even before I watched Clone Wars, I knew he was alive in that show and I know that they considered it canon. Uh, weirdly enough about this solo movie, the way it ends, Glenn, is, uh, by doing this Darth Maul reveal at the end uh it's clear that they want to do sequels now i don't think they're going to do a sequel to solo specifically but in the news uh we learned that they're they're moving forward with the boba fett movie which is being uh worked on by james mangold who did logan and there's also been the talk of the Obi-Wan movie. Now, personally, I think that they aren't going to do a Solo sequel, but I think characters from Solo are going to appear in the Boba Fett movie if they make it, and the Obi-Wan movie if they make it, to sort of make a self-contained trilogy of movies. 
that deal with uh, the the crime syndicate in these movies and the Darth Maul thing. And I think they'll all be tied in together uh, as movies and the characters will from these movies will kind of cross pollinate from in one to the other. At least that's how I feel like it's going to be gone about. Cause otherwise I would, I would imagine it's pretty superfluous to have a Boba Fett movie. Like I know he's popular among star Wars circles, but I don't think that character has nearly enough appeal to warrant its own movie just about Boba Fett and nothing else. I would imagine there's going to be some crossover between these movies, but I'm not sure. But I feel like that's what they're going to be doing. Because I don't think they're making a sequel to, to Solo specifically. No, nah, I mean, uh, not that it like necessarily tanked, but it definitely didn't meet their expectations. No. So I think they were originally tracking this at like 150 million, something well, like that. Well, they were thinking, like, I remember, like, the Fandango, I remember weeks before, it was all like, oh, this is going to break records and this or that. And it's like, really? Yeah. I don't. I know no one this guy, I have friends with who wants to see this movie. This So this got people talking, like, when Fandango said, because they don't release numbers, they just said it was breaking records. People were wondering if the records they were breaking were for opening night ticket sales. Because apparently the movie did really good on opening nights in a lot of places. Um, that's where it did a lot of its best business. But, yeah. So the movie opened to, it barely made it over the $100 million mark, which... I know a lot of people are like, well, shit, $100 million is a lot of money. Yes, but this movie ended up being the most expensive Star Wars movie ever made because of the reshoots. They had to go back and reshoot like 70% of this movie. It's estimated that the budget was around $250 million, Oof. which is more than Last Jedi. Oh, and think of all the marketing. And then, like of course... all the Solo Cups. Right, the market... <laughs> and then, did they do Solo Cups? They better have. Yes, there were red Solo Cup ads for the uh, Solo movie. Well, good, at least they jumped on that. But the marketing, yeah. Marketing I mean, that, is, you could tell they were desperate just in some of the marketing. Yeah, the marketing uh, is another huge added expense. It's too early to call it a flop because it might get some word of mouth. The movie's been fairly well reviewed. People do not hate it. And they, they shouldn't. It's not bad. It's fine. It's, you know, but it's, you know, like there, uh, you can say what you want, and people have about Last Jedi, but there are some things in that movie that are memorable. There is really nothing in this movie that you're going to walk away remembering. <clears throat> the only reason this will even end up in my movie collection is because it's Star Wars, it's not bad, and I have every Star Wars movie. So it'll be in there. Um, it's a 71% on the tomato meter, 6.4 out of 10 average rating, which is not bad. Um, normally when you've got a high tomato meter, I'd expect a really good movie to be at least 7 or above out of 10. Um, so yeah, th this is not bad. 6.4 out of 10 is not bad. It's a fine movie, uh, but it, it's not much of a it's not much of a standout. I will say this in relation to the box office, uh, I think they were hurt in a couple of ways. I don't know how much I buy in to the whole so many people hated Last Jedi that people swore off Star Wars. Honestly, I think that's bullshit. I think the people who really hated Last Jedi that much were a vocal minority. I don't think there's that many people who hated it that vitriolic, like, that much. 
that they swore off Star Wars forever. Uh, nope, but there I, are more bad Star Wars movies than there are good. <laughs> I uh, I think there's some contention about that. I would disagree. I think I would disagree, but that's fine. You can be wrong. It's okay. You're entitled to that. <laughs> there is a. Uh, I do think there is some merit to the fact that the last Star Wars movie only came out a few months ago. That being said, there was less time in between Black Panther and Infinity War, and both of those movies made all of the money. I know, it's really curious to see if how close Infinity Wars finishes to Black Panther. Domestically, you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Black Panther's not going to touch it no, worldwide. No, no, but, no. <laughs> uh, in, in fact, because of Star Wars uh, solo kind of underperforming, I think it's probably going to help Infinity War cross that $2 billion line. Last time I looked, they were at like $1.9 billion, so I think they'll probably cross that $2 billion line. Um, but they, yeah, uh, you're right. Infinity War and Black Panther are actually really close domestically, uh, which is actually kind of crazy. Uh, it's a it's a it's a definitely a statement about how fantastic Black Panther was. Uh, so I would say that there's there might be a little bit of fatigue in between the movies, but I think what really ended up hurting to me what ended up hurting Solo the most is that it went up against Infinity War and Deadpool. And one thing that I didn't even know about it, uh, so I knew that you know obviously Solo and Infinity War are Disney products. And part of the reason they moved up Infinity War a week was to give more of a barrier for Solo, uh, for less competition. But when they moved up a week, Deadpool 2 moved up a week. Solo was originally supposed to uh, hit theaters before Deadpool. And they moved up the Deadpool release a week. So Deadpool ended up opening before Solo. And I think ultimately that's what really hurt it more. And it ended up kind of squeaking over 103 million uh, domestically, and uh, worldwide it didn't even hit a million, or it didn't even hit 100 million. It hit 82 million, and uh, it hasn't hit 200 million yet. Uh, in the middle of its uh, second week here, so it is struggling. Uh, I think more people should go see it. Like, it's fun. It's worth the price of admission. It's a fun Star Wars adventure. But it doesn't add anything. Uh, you don't really learn anything about these characters that you did not already know. Uh, <clears throat> all of the characters you would care about the most, Glenn, you're correct, are all characters that you know their fates. Uh, so, well, for the most part. Like, we don't know what happened to Lando. But we know he lives at least until episode six. So yeah. you can't put any of those characters in peril. They try to put Chewie in peril uh, during a train heist, which is a really fun scene. But you don't buy for a second that anything is going bad is going to happen to Chewie. Why would you? Chewie is still alive. He was just in episode eight and is going to be in nine. So, yeah. Uh, you can't put characters like that in peril. They tried. That's a bad move. Who Don't knew that Chewie was going to be the last man standing out of that core? Yeah, right? He's also very old. I mean, I know Leia's technically alive, but for all yeah. intents and purposes, not. Yeah, I mean, so Han, Han basically starts the movie as a roguey guy, and he ends the movie as a roguey guy. I am at least happy that they didn't, you know 
do the God, you know, you're a you're a hero thing. Like I'm glad they didn't do that arc. That's a positive because, you know, Han doesn't become a hero until the original trilogy of movies. Like that's when he stops thinking for himself. He does do the right thing at the end of this movie, but uh you know, he's still you know, at the end of the movie it's still him being like hey, I heard about this big fat slug on this planet who's starting a crime syndicate thing or an, uh, uh, working on a big operation or something. You know, we should go there. Uh, you know, so he's still roguish Han Solo. They did an okay job with that. The real key is whether or not you can get past Alden Ehrenreich not really delivering on being Han Solo. I don't think he did a very good job at all of capturing that, but, you know... It's been my opinion for a while that Han Solo is not a great character. He was a great performance. And in order to recapture that, you'd have to recapture Harrison Ford's performance. And good luck. Yeah. Uh, Some characters are just great characters, and you can just plug in good actors into it, and they can carry them, uh, like Batman. But, uh, you know, this just... This is this was not one of them. He was not a great character. He was a great performance, and uh, you know that's a lot of that's a lot of the characters in Star Wars. They aren't great characters. They get carried by really good performances, but um, unless you count the prequels, uh, in which case, not good performances. But for the iconic characters, you know those are good performances and. Yeah, I, I, I feel kind of bad for him. Like, there's no way he could have done it. But he plays a good character. It just doesn't ever feel like it's Han Solo to me. Yeah. If, I think the other reason why the movie tanked, too, was all the behind-the-scenes problems. Like, people like me who were surprised that they hired Lord and Miller. Lord and, Miller yeah. and then wasn't necessarily surprised that they canned him, but, like, you almost finished the movie and were like, nah. It's so weird that they're and like, then you we go hire with these the guys, safest then, pick possible. Yeah. I mean, Ron Howard is a good director. Yeah, he is. And very competent and very sound. And that's what this movie is. It is very competent and sound. And it is a fun time. But, you know, it's it's better than the prequels. But it's like at the bottom. Like, when you're ra- for me, when I'm ranking my Star Wars movies. Like, the bottom three are the prequels. It's like Revenge of the Sith, Phantom Menace, and Attack of the Clones are like my uh, in descending order. Uh, But then this movie is going right on top of Revenge of the Sith. And then, uh, you know, from there on. Like, it's going to... I don't think any of the movies are going to really hit prequel territory for me. uh, Ever, because I think people are... uh, I think almost everybody who they're going to get to make a Star Wars movie now is going to be better than George Lucas during his prequel time period. Uh, so I'm not really worried about uh, the quality of those movies. But, yeah, if we forget those prequel movies exist, this is like bottom of the barrel for me. It was fine, but it didn't it didn't add any layers to me at all to anything. Uh so yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of that curiosity of like, oh hey, everybody, Darth Maul's back. But you know, if you do know your time periods, there's still that Rebels cartoon that this takes place before, and Darth Maul dies in that Rebels cartoon. So he, if 
they still consider those canon, which they say they do. We also know Darth Maul's fate. He's going to live through any of these movies and die in a cartoon later. Um, and which by later, I mean in the timeline because he's already died in the cartoon because the cartoons already aired. But, uh, yeah, so his fate is already sealed in that regard. Uh, so even that isn't really, you know, it'll be the ride of how they get to that point. Uh, and it will be cool to see him. Uh, he was played by Ray Park on the screen, which was cool. Uh, but he was voiced by the guy who voices him in Clone Wars and Rebels. Uh, so they ADR'd him. Yeah, it's uh, Peter Safranowitz, right? I believe so, yes. I love that guy. Yeah. Very good voice actor. Uh, well, he's the one of the Nova Corps guys in Guardians. Yeah, yeah, he was the A-Holes guy, right? Yeah. What a bunch of A-Holes. Yeah. Also, I, yeah. Well, he was awesome in that as well, but... Uh, yeah, so I mean, eh... At the end of the day, uh, this might be the lowest I've rated a Star Wars movie in forever, but I gave it three and a half. It was fine. Uh, I would I would say, if you like Star Wars, go see it, but it did not leave any sort of impact on me in any way. It was just one of those movies where you go, oh, well, that was fun, and then you don't think about it again. Like, the next time I go to think about it, it'll be when I'm binging through the Star Wars movies, and it comes up as, like, the next one. But that will probably be the next time I think about it, or have any desire to watch it. It was okay. But that's kind of where it lands for me. I'll be curious, Glenn, to hear what you think about it. You're going to go see it soonish. Yeah, I whenever I can. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, let me know what you think. Uh, hopefully... Uh, the next movie they crank out... I, don't, I think the next movie is going to be episode 9, though, right? I'm yes. actually not positive what comes out next. Yeah. All right. Uh, I mean, I am curious to see how they're going to close out this particular trilogy of movies. But to be honest, I'm a little more curious to see if my theory is right, that they're going to try to do a Boba Fett movie and an Obi-Wan movie and link them all together with this solo movie to make a sort of uh, Inception-like inner trilogy of movies. Uh, I'll be curious to see if they do that or not. I think it's the, really the only thing they should do, because quite frankly, I don't know if a Boba Fett movie is going to be okay on its own. Uh, I mean, you put Han Solo's name on a movie, and he's one of the most memorable names in Star Wars, and it did not do all that well. So, I mean, that's not the only thing. You can't just slap his name on it. There's a lot of other factors, but... Uh, I don't know. We We shall see. We shall see where we go from there. Uh, do you are you more or less hyped after my review? No, me? I mean you're pretty much in line with everyone else. It's like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, man, well, it's it's a it's kind of disappointing. I was really hoping. It if would you want to keep talking about sad things that you would be surprised by, mm. I could bring something up that I'm sure you're not aware of. Okay. Zack Snyder's I mean, next movie is going to be an adaptation of Ayn oh, Rand's The, the Fountainhead. Fountainhead. Yeah, I did read about this. Well, at least, <laughs> like, at least, at least he says he wants to do it. We'll see. Of course, or not he, he wants can... to do it. It's like so on the nose. We'll see whether or not he can actually get it made. Is uh, another thing. Oh my god! I actually kind of want to see Zack Snyder's The Fountainhead. I sort of want to see it. Um, you know, not because I agree with Ayn Rand or any of the philosophies in those books, 
Uh, it can't be any worse than those Atlas Shrugged movies that came out a while ago. But I'm yeah. kind of curious. To, to me, that look, if Zack Snyder gets Fountainhead made, I, I promise you it'll be peak Zack Snyder. Oh, yeah. Uh, it'll be the combination of all of the Zack Snyder things. You'll get and, Peter uh, Thiel's money, the guy who did uh, PayPal. You'll get, <laughs> uh, I mean, funding-wise, there's plenty of businessmen and congressmen. Sure Paul, Paul Ryan, I'm sure he'll uh, give him his life savings. Oh, yeah. To make this movie. Um uh, Ted Cruz well, as well. Look, forget about Star Wars, guys. Forget about Inven- forget about Infinity War Part Two or whatever they're going to call it. Uh, Zack Snyder's the Fountainhead. Mm-hmm. Everyone, let's mark that. Try to mark that on our calendars uh, and find out. <laughs> we will really find out what peak Zack Snyder is. I think everybody thought maybe Watchmen was or 300 was really like Zack Snyder. It is Zack Snyderiest, but well, you know, he doesn't quite understand masculinity and neither does I and ran. So, uh, <laughs> it, it'll be really interesting. Uh, all right. Well, that's a wrap for this week's episode. <laughs> we did end it on a down note. Uh, head on over to the website to check out the archives of the show. You can find us on Apple podcasts, Google play music, uh, Stitcher, anywhere fine podcasts are available. Just search for Cinema Geekly and hit subscribe. For Glenn Bovey, I'm Anthony Lewis. We'll see you next time on another episode of the Cinema Geekly Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>